There's a line in that song that I love, and it says that all my life you have been faithful. All my life when I have fallen short, God has met me not with His wrath, but His mercy. And we praise the Lord for that gift. And it's such a beautiful segue into our passage uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm chapter 51. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Aaron. I'm the other brother Aaron on staff uh, here at Ridgecrest. If you want to tell us apart, I'm tall with hair. Aaron's the opposite. Um, I, had, I had to throw a joke in at my brother. No, we, we, we joke about that. I love our staff. I love Brother Aaron, and, and I love and I'm so thankful for Brother Ray and, and our staff giving me the opportunity uh, to preach uh, this morning. And I can tell you that Brother Ray is more than ready to be back with you because my ability to preach this morning was based solely on the fact whether or not he could hold out one more Sunday. Uh, so I'm thankful uh, that he did. So Brother Ray, if you're listening, thank you uh, for holding out just one more week. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 51. And if you've looked in your worship folder, you may have already noticed the title of this morning's message. The title of this morning's message is Authentic Repentance. Authentic Repentance. And when we think about that word, authentic, my mind goes to what it means. And to be, for something to be authentic, it means that it's real, it's genuine, that it's not fake. And so as we expound on this idea of authentic repentance, I want to open with a story uh, that may get me in trouble with my mom later, but that's okay. <laughs> so when we think about authentic, I'm reminded of this movie. Uh, if you know my mom, you probably know which movie I'm fixing to say. Uh, but this movie that came out years ago, and I'm sure we all have heard of it, it's a movie called Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. And if you know anything about Lori Johnson, then you know that my mom is the world's biggest Gone with the Wind fan that there ever was. To the point that it's quite literally a rite of passage in the Johnson family that you have to watch this movie at least once in your life. And my mom loves this movie so much that she doesn't just like to watch it, my mom would collect and still does these little different Gone with the Wind memorabilia pieces or collectibles. And if you walk in our house, uh, you would think that we were at a Gone with the Wind museum and the, the Johnsons don't live here. It's quite impressive, actually. Um, but with every piece of my mom's collection, there came this little piece of paper with it. And what that little piece of paper was called was a certificate of authenticity. The certificate of authenticity and what this little piece of paper guaranteed and why it was so important was because it guaranteed that this Scarlett O'Hara cookie jar or this Rhett Butler jack-in-the-box that you are holding right now is in fact the real deal. <laughs> it guarantees that it is the real deal, that it's not fake. So why is that piece of paper so important? Because if you collect something, like my mom does Gone with the Wind for me, I'll throw myself under the bus, uh, me and a couple of guys on staff here have gotten into the world of sports cards, and we want the real deal. You don't want the fake stuff. And as we'll see in our passage this morning in Psalm chapter 51, we see on a much grander scale, on a much more important scale, and I would even say on an eternal scale, that what God wants from us is not the fake stuff. What God wants from you is not an empty, meaningless ritual or an empty, meaningless religion. What God desires most from you is your heart. 
And that's what we'll look at this morning here in Psalm 51. And as we'll read in just a minute of what it means to be, uh, have an authentic repentance where David says in verses 16 and 17 that you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. So as we said earlier, what God desires is not an empty religion. God wants from each and every one of us is our heart in a relationship with him. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we honor uh, the reading of God's word, starting in verse 1 of Psalm chapter 51. Starting in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, and that against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities, and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray. God, you are so good. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your grace. And God, I personally thank you for this moment. God, for the opportunity to, to lead our body of believers, our church family, Lord, in your word. God, I pray that as we discuss different points, God, as we discuss your truth, Lord, that we use it not just as a time of information, but Lord, you would use it as a time for transformation. God, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to study your word together, God, and to sing songs of praise and worship to you. God, we thank you again for this day. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So before we get into uh, the weeds of our passage this morning, one thing that I always tell our students is that context is key. Context is always key when we talk about understanding a new passage. And so in Psalm 51, it's important we understand who wrote it. And we know that David uh, is the one who wrote this psalm. And at this time, David is the king of Israel. And David, while he's writing this, it's important that we know not just who wrote it, but we need to understand how he wrote it. See, Psalm 51 is one of seven of what's known as the penitential psalms. 
You can think of this word as penance, and all that means is this outward expression of repentance. So when we approach Psalm 51 this morning, we need to understand that we are reading David's plea to God for his mercy and for his forgiveness because of the sin in his life. Which leads to a second context question. What happened that led David to get to this point? Well, I'm glad you asked. So what happened here is that David, and I'm, we're going to go through this part in 2 Samuel 11 through 12, and for the sake of time, because Brother Ray only gave me two hours, uh, we won't have time uh, to go through all of it. But we're going to look through a story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and I'm going to give you uh, just kind of the summary of it, and I encourage you to go back and read it on your own time. But when we get to 2 Samuel 11, what we learn is that Israel is at battle. Israel's at battle, and David is supposed to be with Israel fighting with his group, fighting with his people. But the Bible says that David decided to stay home back in Jerusalem, so he's already where he doesn't need to be. And so David, while he is in Jerusalem, it says that he went outside and walked around the roof, and he noticed somebody, and that somebody was a lady named Bathsheba. And he sees Bathsheba, and the Bible says that he became very attracted to her, and without going into much detail of this story... Essentially what happened is this thought that David had for Bathsheba progressed to the point he committed adultery with Bathsheba. David has fallen into a grievous sin of adultery at this point. And so David, instead of doing what we would think would be the right thing to do and turning to the Lord, confessing our sin and seeking a repentance, David decides that he's going to try to cover up his own sin and fix his problem on his own. So, because there's a complicating uh, factor to this story. Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. And Uriah was out fighting for David, fighting for Israel. And so David, in his attempt to fix his, his sin problem, his consequences that have come up, he sends a message and he says, hey, send Uriah home to report to me. So that's what happens. Uriah comes home, reports to David, and David pretty much tells Uriah, he says, man, he says, you've been gone for a long time. Why don't you just rest, spend some time uh, with your wife, and, and then you can return. But we learn what kind of man Uriah was. Because Uriah says, no, I don't feel right about that. I can't sleep in a bed while my men are out fighting for Israel. So Uriah says, no, he turns the offer down. And so David decides, okay, well now I've got to go to plan B. So David sends a message, sends a letter by Uriah to a man named Joab that says, when you go to battle, place Uriah on the front lines. And when you engage in battle, I want you all to pull away from Uriah. And so what this led to was Uriah's death. So not only has David committed adultery, but David has now committed murder. And before we get into our message this morning, we see the danger of our sin and how quickly it progresses. See, all of this started with just a simple thought. And had David done what Scripture teaches, that we take every thought captive, maybe this could have been avoided. But as we talk through uh, this story and we get to chapter 12, David's committed adultery, he's committed murder, but there's this guy that we meet in chapter 12, and his name is Nathan. Nathan was a prophet, but Nathan was also a very good friend of David's. And being the good friend that Nathan was to David, he comes and he confronts him about his sin, and David feels this conviction and this brokenness over his sin that ultimately led him to write Psalm 51, where we are this morning. 
And when we talk about conviction, anytime I hear that word, I'm reminded of a quote uh, by Charles Spurgeon that says this, that conviction is a sign of God's grace in our lives. Conviction is a sign of God's grace in our lives. Because see, what ultimately led David to this point of seeking repentance was not just Nathan, but it was the work of the Holy Spirit convicting him over his sin. Because our conviction ultimately is what brings us to a point that we run to God and we feel that brokenness over our sin. So why did we go through all of that story? Well, we go through it for two reasons. One, because of the context. It helps us better understand what's going on. But the second reason is because if we're going to talk this morning about what it means to have a heart of authentic repentance before the Lord, then we must begin by understanding the reality and the severity of our sin. And we should also start by understanding that we have no ability to correct our sin problem on our own. And so when we look at the first few, ver- first few verses here in Psalm 51, in verses 1 through 2, David says to have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David knew that in order uh, for him to be cleansed of his sin, for him to be forgiven of his sin, that he was going to have to be fully dependent upon God. That as humans, there was, no, there was no thing that we could do to be cleansed of our sin other than be completely dependent upon God and His mercy. And the same is true for us as well. As humans, as God's creation, we were not given the ability to correct our sin problem on our own, but we were created to be dependent upon God and to surrender our lives and our sin and our situation to the only one who can correct our sin problem, that ultimately being Jesus. And that's exactly where David has found himself in this moment. And so we see the need here in verses 1 through 2 for the complete dependency upon God. But then when we get to verse 4, we see a picture of the severity of sin. We see a picture of the severity of sin. And in verse 4, David says that against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So when it comes to seeking forgiveness and us understanding the severity of our sin, we must understand that what makes sin so evil, what makes sin so severe, is that we have sinned against God. That is what makes sin so evil and so severe, is that we have sinned against God. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Didn't David's actions affect Bathsheba? Absolutely they did. Didn't David's actions literally kill a man? Absolutely they did. But what we also know about sin is that it doesn't affect just us, it affects those around us as well. Our sin is contagious to those around us and sometimes people get caught in the crossfire. But when we talk about that against you and you only have I sinned, what David is saying here is that I recognize that God is the perfect standard of righteousness as well as the perfect standard of holiness because that is who God is. That God is righteous. God is holy. And so anytime that we sin, it's not just we're wronging our brother or sister. It's that we have violated the character of who God is. And that's what makes sin so severe and so evil. But then the second thing that we see in this statement is that how do we know what is good? How do we know what is true? How do we know on the flip side of that what is wrong, what is evil, and what is sinful? 
Well, what we see here is that when David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is wrong in your sight, David knows that he knows that his actions were sinful because he held his actions against the character of God and against the truth of his word. He doesn't hold his actions against what society says is good or evil. And that's an important distinction to make, that as believers, our only standard of good and our only standard of what is wrong comes when we hold our actions and our thoughts against the truth of God's Word and who He is as God. Not what society says is evil or good. And, and another reason why I love this psalm so much is because David is being real about his situation. David is being raw and understands that he knows that I have fallen short. I know that I have messed up. And David, in this psalm, what he says, <clears throat> he doesn't try to sugarcoat his actions by calling it by another name or by blaming it on someone else. David called his actions for what they were, and that was sin. And if we're going to have a heart of true, authentic repentance, then what is required of us is that we are honest about our sin. And it is only when we confess those sins to God that we can find forgiveness David understood the fact that God does not call us to cover sins up. He calls us to confess them. Because it's only when we confess them that we see this truth in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we talk about having a heart of authentic repentance, the first step is that we be honest and aware of our sin nature. And David has modeled that so well for us here in Psalm chapter 51. And so now that we've walked through the weight and the severity of our sin and a little bit of the context, there's three points this morning uh, that I want us to look at that is required of us if we are going to live a life and have a heart of authentic repentance. And the first one is this. Authentic repentance begins with a genuine heart change. Authentic repentance begins with a genuine heart change. So look with me again in verse 10 where David writes, to create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And I love this verse because we see that David was so convicted of his sin. David hated his sin so much to the point that he didn't just want to be washed up and sent back out. David wanted something new, which means that what David was asking of God was far more than just forgiveness of sins, David wanted to be made new. David wanted uh, to be made new. And this idea of being made new is really at the heart and the core of Christianity. Because without a genuine heart change, we cannot be an obedient follower of Christ. Without a genuine heart change, we cannot be an obedient follower of Christ. And for us to grasp and understand that, we also have to understand what Scripture says about the condition of our heart. For us to understand what it means to have authentic repentance and to have a genuine heart change, then we have to understand why our heart has to change. And for that, if you'll look back with me at verse 5 in Psalm 51, you'll see that David says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And what this is referring to is the origin of sin. This is referring to the origin of sin back in the Garden of Eden where God had created us to have a perfect relationship with Him. But we get to chapter 3, and we would come to know this chapter as of the fall of man, where Adam and Eve sinned against God, and sin entered the world, and they were separated from God. 
And from that point, Paul would write to understand in Romans 3 that no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. And then later on in that same chapter, he would say that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So as humans, our heart's original disposition is sinful because we were born into this sinful world. Paul would also write that through one man, sin entered the world, so through the other man, so did the forgiveness of sins. And so Paul, continuing on in this idea of our sin nature in Ephesians 2, would go so far as to say that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But then we get to verse 4, and this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. So to be made new, when we talk about having a genuine heart change, it goes far deeper than just seeking forgiveness. It points us to the fact that we have been given a new life. That as believers, we have gone from death in sin to life in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 would affirm that for us whenever it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Which means that for those of us who are in Christ, the way that we think should change. The way that we act should change. Not only the way that we think and act and speak should have changed, but also what we desire should have changed. And so when we talk about having a genuine heart change, what this does not mean is that you will be perfect. This does not mean that you will be without sin. But what it does mean is that your attitude towards sin has changed. I no longer desire it. I no longer want to live in it. Because as a believer, my heart has changed. What I desire most is God and to be obedient to Him. That's why Jesus tells us to take up our cross and die to ourselves daily. Because daily we have to make the choice that I'm going to be obedient to Christ over myself. My obedience to Christ is more valuable to me than the sin that's in my life. My obedience to Christ is more valuable to me than what I desire. That's what a genuine heart change looks like. It's not that you'll be without sin. It's that your attitude has now changed towards sin. And so when we think through this uh, genuine heart change and what our desires have changed to be, to be made new means that we are choosing to let go of the sin that once separated us from God. Because if you are in Christ, we cannot follow Him and be obedient to Him if we are trying to hold on to and justify the sin that is in our lives. Because when we look at the example in David here, he offers no excuse for his actions. He simply says, Lord, I was wrong. I did what was evil in your sight. Please forgive me. And when we use this word repentance, what that means is that we're not just turning away from something, but we're also turning to something. And so when we say that we're having authentic repentance, what that means is that I'm turning away from my sin and I'm turning toward God. And the reason that we say that we cannot live in sin and also in Christ at the same time is because it's very hard for me to turn away from something and hold on to it at the same time. Eventually my arm's going to wrap around my body and that wouldn't be very comfortable because I have a pretty big torso. <clears throat> so... But I can't turn away from something and hold on to it at the same time. And I guess a more biblical way of saying it, and my preferred way of explaining it, is that I cannot be dead in my sin and alive in Christ at the same time. 
And that's what, that is what David knows and he realizes. And that's why his heart is so broken over his sin. So for the, for the unbeliever, when we talk about being made new, what that means is that you understand and you are aware of, of your sin and your need of Christ and that you want to surrender uh, your life to Him. But for the believer, this renewal process, this genuine heart change that we're talking about, understands that the renewal process and the confession of our sin is more than just a one-time thing. It is a daily practice. It is a daily practice. I use this example uh, with my students a lot when we talk about this, is that the longer that we walk in the light, the more aware we become of our sin. And so I use this example, if this curses you out, I I apologize. But um, if I had an arm, or I do have an arm, but on my arm, (laughs) if I had a bunch of bumps, scrapes, warts, it was just nasty. But I lived in the dark. I never saw that my arm needed to be tended to. But if I stuck my arm under the light, and I see that right there on my top of my hand, there's a little scrape. Well, put a Band-Aid on, I'll take care of it. The further I stick my arm in, the more aware I am of the need to tend to the medical needs of my arm. In the same way is true when we walk with Christ. The longer that I walk with Christ and I become aware, okay, well, I'm falling short here, I'm falling short here, We confess that sin to the Lord and He deals with it in our lives and this is a process known as sanctification. That God is molding us to be more and more like Jesus. And we only get that through Jesus, but also our part is the confession of sin. That's why God calls us to confess sin and not cover it up. And so when we think about the renewal process and we think about a genuine heart change, that is the starting point for authentic repentance. Because it's more than just an apology for sin, it is a desire to die to self and to live for Christ. So that's the first thing when we talk about authentic repentance. The second thing is this, is that authentic repentance is fueled by a desire to be with God. Authentic repentance is fueled by a desire to be with God. So for this section, read along with me as we look back at verse 11, where David writes, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. David, more than anything, wanted to be with God, and he desired to be with God, and he did not want that fellowship to be lost. But there's something that I want to make sure we clear the air on this morning before we get uh, too deep into the weeds. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying uh, when we get into this verse. But here when he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, what David is not concerned with here is losing his salvation. David is in no way concerned with losing his salvation. David knew that he was secure in that. And know this, that if you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ and you have that relationship with Him, know that your salvation and your relationship with Him is something that you can never lose. There's a verse that I run to whenever this topic comes up, and that's Romans chapter 8, verse 30, where it says that those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Meaning that if you have been justified, that you have sought the forgiveness of your sins, you received the forgiveness of your sins, at that very moment, you've been given the promise 
of eternal life. You've been given the promise to be with Christ one day, and that is a promise that you cannot lose. So when David says, take not your Holy Spirit with me, we know that he's not concerned with salvation, because in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit did not indwell inside of the believers like they did in the New Testament. And so what David was concerned with here was his ability to be used by God. David's concern here was his ability to fulfill the calling that God had placed on his life as the king of Israel. Because whenever David was anointed as king, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And what was concerning him was that he did not want to end up like his predecessor, Saul. Saul had lived a life of habitual, unrepentant sin, and we get to this point in 1 Samuel where the Bible says that the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. And the reason David was so concerned with his ability to be used by God is because David knew that the only reason that he was as successful as he was as king was because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him working in and through his life. And David did not want his ability to be used by God to be affected. And so we see that our sin, it does affect our ability to be used by God simply because it also affects our fellowship with God. We can't lose our salvation, but whenever we do sin, whenever we do mess up, it affects our ability to be used by God because it affects our fellowship with God. And we see this play out from the beginning of time. We mentioned Genesis 3 uh, just a second ago where sin ultimately is what separates us from God. God created us to have that perfect uh, relationship with Him, and in Genesis 3, We know this is the fall of man. And the reason that God desires your heart, the reason that God desires fellowship with you above actions and religion and rituals is because God's desire for you and what He created you for was a personal relationship with Him. God created you to love Him above all else so that you could serve Him above all else. That's what God created you for. Because when you love God above all else, only then will we be an obedient servant. Because that's what Jesus says in John 14, 15. That you, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. If we love God, if we have fellowship with God, if we desire that fellowship with God above all else, then we will be obedient. It's not, if you obey my commandments, then you love me. Our, lo- our obedience to God is not what proves our love to Him. It's what flows out of our heart of love to Him. And so we see that what God desires for us is to have a genuine relationship with Him. And oftentimes, whenever we do mess up, we kind of fall into this uh, mindset of, I need to fix this. We see what happened with David in that mindset that I need to have all of my ducks in a row before I come before the Lord, seeking His forgiveness, seeking uh, repentance. But when you get in that moment and you feel those thoughts, remind yourself of this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Here, I'm going to read that one more time. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
So when we talk about desiring to be with God and God desiring for you to have that relationship with Him, this goes back to what we said earlier in verse 4 about how sin is ultimately against God. And when we feel conviction, when we feel that brokenness over sin, my heart and my thought is this, is that it's more so because we haven't broken a rule or because we're, we're afraid of what might come, but it's because we've broken God's heart. The reason we feel that brokenness, the reason we feel that conviction over sin is not just because we broke a rule, but it's because we broke the Creator's heart that created us to have an intimate relationship with Him. And that's where we see that sin is so severe and dangerous because it breaks God's heart and it's sinned against Him. So authentic repentance begins with a genuine heart change, but it's also fueled by a desire to be with God. Because it is only when we run to God and that we are with God that we can find His forgiveness and His mercy. And this leads us to the final thought this morning. And that is this. That authentic repentance is dependent upon God. Say that five times fast. Repentance dependent. (laughs) Authentic repentance is dependent upon God. We've walked through how authentic repentance requires the heart change and that it's driven by a desire to be with God. And this last point has really been the underlying theme behind it all. Because everything we do in life, whether in word or in deed, is fully dependent upon Christ. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm going to quote it out of the ASV, that's the Aaron Standard Version, because I can't remember the, the correct the 100% correct uh, quotation of it, but Paul essentially says that it's not he who waters or he who nurtures that matters, but he who causes things to grow. And Paul was talking about the church in that. But the same is true in our lives. That any success, any good, anything that we do in our life is because of God. And we are fully dependent upon Him. And when we talk about repentance, when we talk about salvation, the same thing is true as well right here. In verse, oh, excuse me. In verse 12, David would say this, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David's request to be restored shows us that only God is the one who can restore us. There is no action good enough to where we can earn our way back to God And as we mentioned earlier, too many times it's easy for us to fall in that trap where we feel like, I have to have it figured out. I have to have these answers before I come to God. But understand this, that that thought process could not be any further from the truth. And it is a lie straight from the enemy because the enemy knows that the moment that you hand your sin to God, the moment that you hand your situation to God, whatever is going on in your life is the moment that you find peace and is the moment that you find restoration. So don't allow yourself to fall into that mindset of I've got to have all of my ducks in a row because church, that's not faith. Faith is being fully dependent upon God to correct your sin problem. We come to God not because we're sinless, we come to God because we're sinful. And it's important that we remind ourselves of that each and every day. because it is only in Jesus that we can find peace and we can find joy and we can find the forgiveness of sin. And David knew that. And that's why he says to restore to me the joy of your salvation because oftentimes what the enemy wants is for you to lose your joy in Christ. 
And what sin does is it gives you reason to doubt that salvation. And how can we find joy in something if we're doubting whether or not it was real? And so in that moment, run to Christ. Run to Christ and let Him restore the joy of your salvation. And the way that we get that joy back in our lives is simply by relying fully on the grace of God. Not just once, but daily. And that's why he asked God to uphold him with a willing spirit. Because authentic repentance is fully dependent upon God. And as we come to a close this morning, there's one last thing that I want us to look at in this passage. And that's in verse 13 where David says this, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. In the last three verses that we walk through together, David has been wrestling through and dealing with the sin that is in his own life. And oftentimes as humans, a lot of times we have a lot easier time pointing out the sin in somebody else's life than we do our own. But what we see here is that David has no worry about holding his brother accountable until the sin has been dealt with in his own life. Which means for us this morning, if we are wanting to hold our brother accountable, before we do that, before we even think about doing that, we should go before the Lord and ask God, where have I fallen short? Deal with the sin that's in my heart first so that I can hold my brother or my sister accountable. And as we talk about all of this this morning, the reality of all that we've talked about is this, is that none of us are perfect. The Bible says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes the pillars of the faith like David. I know for me, I used to put people up on a pedestal like David. He could do no wrong. After all, he was known as a man after God's own heart. But what we have to understand about David is that the reason that he was known as a man after God's own heart was not because he was perfect. It was because David quite literally ran after God. Even in his sin, he ran after God. Even when he was on the top of the mountain, he ran after God. He didn't try to cover up his sin. He ran after God so that his sin could be dealt with. And so David was known as a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, but simply because he ran after God. And so when we have that in our mind, then we know that we are all in need of God's grace and of God's mercy and his forgiveness. But the good news of Jesus is this, is that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe you're here this morning and there is a sin in your life that you haven't turned over to God, that you haven't repented of. Or maybe you're here this morning and there's a situation going on in your life that you just haven't truly surrendered to Christ. Here in just a moment, we're going to sing one more song and the altar is going to be open and I encourage you to to take this time and pray before the Lord. Seek His forgiveness. Seek His mercy. And seek His repentance. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, there's going to be staff members down here on the front that would love to talk with you and pray with you. But maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home as well. Uh, I hear Brother Ray say this often, that we're not a perfect church family, but we're a pretty good one. And so... If you're looking for a church home, once again, this invitation is also for you. And we would love for you to come and join us here at Ridgecrest. I've grown up here, so I'm a little biased. But I think this place is pretty great. 
And we would love to have you join us here at Ritzcrest. So I'm going to pray for us, and Elizabeth is going to come and lead us in one more song. And staff members will be down front uh, ready to talk with you, and the altar will be open. So let's pray. Father, you are good. God, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness, Lord. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you have given us this day to come and to worship you. God, I pray that you are honored and glorified in our worship service this morning. And God, I pray now that if there is someone here that is struggling in sin, Lord, that does not know you, God, I pray that their hearts would be obedient to respond to your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you again for this church, and I thank you again for, the, for this day as we get to go out into connection groups and study your word more deeply in small groups. God, we love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.